Today we continue our series from the Old Testament, and our subject today is the Queen of Sheba. Now, the land of Sheba was in what is today Ethiopia or Yemen. It is believed that the inhabitants of Sheba were the descendants of Cush. It was a land greatly blessed in natural resources. They had gold and spices, especially frankincense and myrrh. They were also noted for their uh, technology concerning irrigation. In fact, dams have been found there that were 60 feet high, and so they were known for their technology. The Queen of Sheba was believed to have been born at about 1020 B.C., she was educated in Ethiopia. She became queen at the age of 15 years, and she reigned for 40 years. Not only is she mentioned in the Bible, she is also mentioned in other ancient writings of other cultures. She was described as being beautiful, intelligent, an eloquent speaker, and adventurous. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote, when this queen heard of the virtue and prudence of Solomon, she had a great mind to see him. She, being desirous to be satisfied by her own experience and not by a bare hearing, for reports thus heard are likely enough to comply with a false opinion. Now, when they said that she was adventurous, I think that we all would agree concerning that because the distance between where she lived and where Solomon was, was 1,400 miles. Now, if her caravan traveled 20 miles a day, that means it would have taken her six months to go from where she lived to see Solomon. So take your Bibles, let's look at the story in 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning in verse number 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men! How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom! Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. 
Never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Now, the Bible says that she traveled the distance of 1,400 miles to see Solomon because she had heard of his fame. In verse number 1, it says, Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon. Now, how did she hear about Solomon? She lived 1,400 miles away. They didn't have cable television back then. There was no Sean Hannity or Glenn Beck to tell them what was going on in the world. There was no Facebook. No one was Twittering back then. So how then did she hear about King Solomon who lived 1,400 miles from where she lived? Well, Tramron was the leader of her trade caravans, and they traded with Israel. As a matter of fact, they provided some of the supplies that were necessary to build the temple. And there is an ancient writing that says Tramron was the one who told the queen about Solomon. Now, he was famous because of his wealth. Now, I suppose he would be like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or some of you out there who known for their wealth, but he was famous because of his wealth. Now, the thing that is of interest to me and somewhat amusing is that here is a man who was very wealthy and the queen of Sheba was impressed with his wealth, but the things she noticed are the things a woman would have noticed. Look at verse number 4. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. What was she impressed with? Well, the exquisite food that they had, the attendance of the servants, the way that they were attired, how beautifully they were attired. Now, folks, that's not what a man would have seen. Had a man gone there and was writing someone about the wealth of this man, he would probably have said, you're not going to believe how rich he was. I mean, his stakes were bigger than the plate. But that's the way that a man would see things. But this woman was seeing things from a woman's vantage point. He was famous because of his wealth. He was famous because of his wisdom. In verse 23, So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And she said because of his wisdom that his servants were blessed. Look at verse number 8. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. I think I can identify somewhat with that because I've had the privilege in my life of being around people who were wise and sometimes just overhearing them when they spoke. There's John Bassanio, Adrian Rogers, Herschel Hobbs, wise men. And I've had the opportunity of listening to them. Governor McNair, when he was alive, I oftentimes went to him. And Bob Newell, when he was alive, I, I gained so much wisdom from them. And that's what she is saying. 
She said, your servants are so blessed because they have the opportunity of hearing your wisdom. They have the opportunity of overhearing your wisdom. So your servants are blessed because of your wisdom. And she said, the nation also is blessed in verse number 9. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore He made you king to do justice and righteousness. She said, the nation is blessed because you are the king. You are a king of justice. And Solomon was committed to justice. He was living out and reigning in the admonition of Micah the prophet who wrote in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. She said, your nation is blessed because of your wisdom. You are a just king and righteous. And he led in righteousness. In fact, Solomon wrote in Psalm 72, verse 1, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness to the king's son. So the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon. Back in her land, she had heard about him. He was famous because of his wealth and because of his wisdom. But then there is the disappointment of his failure. I have always been perplexed by Solomon. How is it that a man who was so blessed of God, a man who was so wise, how could he stray so far from God? Does that perplex you? A man who has been so blessed, who was acknowledged to be wise and just and righteous, then how did he stray away from God? Well, it's my belief in studying his life somewhat that it happened as a result of compromise. There were those areas in his life in which he compromised. Now, let me hasten to say that compromise is both right and wrong. Compromise is right when it brings about cooperation. It is wrong when it sacrifices values or ethics. For instance, in religion, compromise is right if it brings about cooperation. We just a week or so ago, whenever it was, were involved in the feeding of the hungry that we have done for 19 years now. Now, let me tell you or remind you how that came about. Monsignor Lila Hockey, who is the pastor of uh, St. Peter's Catholic Church, was over one day. We were having coffee together and talking, and I said to him, Lee, we ought to be able to do something together, but I am not going to compromise anything I believe to accommodate you, and I doubt that you're going to compromise what you believe to accommodate me, but we ought to be able to do something. And out of that, as we began to talk about it and so forth, came the idea of feeding the hungry. Now, I think that we probably all would agree that that ended up being a good thing because that has been a ministry that we have performed now for 19 years. But it came about as a result of two people coming together in cooperation. You, you see, whenever there is in, in the compromise in politics, it's good if it benefits the people. Now, I'm not talking about this politically correct nonsense that's going on today. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when there is a compromise that truly benefits 
the people. In business, compromise is good if it benefits the people. Now, we've seen that recently in our own state when government and business came together as a result of it. We have Boeing coming to our state that is going to provide thousands of jobs for our state. That's good. So the point that I'm making, sometimes we think that if the word compromise is mentioned, it is always bad. No, it can be a good thing if there is cooperation, but it is a bad thing if we sacrifice morality in our compromise. For instance, in religion, there are those today who want us to compromise our beliefs, ignoring the Word of God. And, and there are those who say, well, we just all need to come together, that all religions are good, that all religions are the same. When the Bible tells us there is only one way of salvation, and that is in Jesus Christ. But there are those who say, well, no, we're all going to the same place. We're just traveling different paths while they ignore the Word of God. Now, that's not right. That is a compromise that is wrong. In politics, there is the pressure today to, to reject the Word of God, and we compromise concerning sanctity of life, concerning same-sex marriages, concerning some of those things, while we reject the Word of God. you remember what Peter said when he was told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus? Peter asked the question, should I obey God or man? And see, that's the question that we have to ask when it comes to compromise. Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey man? And God had warned Solomon about the danger of compromise. Look at chapter 9, verse number 6. But if you or your son shall indeed turn away from following me, and shall not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. God had warned Solomon, Be careful in compromising. Don't compromise your walk with me. Don't compromise your relationship to me. Don't compromise what I say with the world. It can be right and wrong. Compromise is also progressive. It happens a little at a time. In chapter 11, verse number 6, And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Uh, I, I, I don't think that Solomon intended it to end up the way that it ended up. I, I just don't think that was his intention. I think he compromised a little bit at a time, and then he ended up that way. You remember his wisdom, how he had asked the Lord to give him wisdom when he was in prayer before he became the king, and God said, Solomon, what is it you want me to give you? And he said, Lord, give me wisdom that I might be able to lead this great people of yours. And he enjoyed 
God's wisdom. God blessed him with wisdom. In fact, the Scripture says in 1 Kings 4, 29 and 30, Now, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. So here is a man who had been blessed with the wisdom of God, but then he compromised his wisdom and became foolish as a result of it. Not only did he compromise his wisdom, he compromised his walk with God. You recall in the beginning that Solomon walked with God. He offered sacrifices to God. He built the temple. He did all of these things that he did. He walked with God. And then as we study his life, we see that he walked without God. So he walked with God. He walked without God. He compromised his walk. Now, folks, that is a reminder to us or should be a reminder to us that you can't serve two masters. You either walk with God or you walk without God, but you don't walk in between. Jesus said there is a narrow way and there is a broad way. You're not on both paths. You're on one or the other. And when I look at Solomon, I see his compromise that took place, that he compromised his wisdom, he compromised his walk, he compromised his wealth. At first he was generous with his wealth because he understood that as one who has been blessed of God, that, ladies and gentlemen, we are supposed to be rivers dispensing the blessings of God, not reservoirs hoarding the blessings of God. And at first that was Solomon. At first that's the way he was. He was very generous. But as time went on, everything became about Solomon. In fact, it is interesting to me in his testimony the number of times he uses the word myself in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Listen to this. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I made ponds of water for myself. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasure of men, many concubines. I look at Solomon, I think that he compromised a little bit at a time. He compromised his wisdom. He compromised his walk. He compromised his wealth. And then he compromised his worship. At one time, he worshipped God. In the beginning, he worshipped the one true God of Israel. But then he was... Then he compromised and became involved with pluralism in chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. It came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. He embraced his wives, his pagan wives, pagan gods. The Broadman Commentary wrote, the king was thoughtful enough of his foreign wives to provide them opportunity for their own worship. But the judgment of the historian is that such broad-minded tolerance have disastrous consequences. He started out with one God, but in time he was embracing other gods. Is that not where we are as America today? 
Folks, we have been a blessed nation. I truly believe that we have been a blessed nation because we have been uh, a country built upon the principles of God's Word. Now, I know it's been said that America is not a Christian nation, and that is correct. It is not a Christian nation. But it is also correct that this nation was built upon the principles of Christianity. That our forefathers believed in Christ, that they believed in the Word of God. And the foundation that was laid on which we built, the foundation that was laid was a Christian foundation, the Word of God. When I look at Solomon, I see that he compromised his witness When the queen of Sheba met him, she gave honor to God because of his wisdom, because of his blessings. She gave honor to God. But then he became a bad witness, a bad testimony, a bad example, and he lost his testimony in God's favor. In chapter 11, verse 11, So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. I think that's probably a lesson we really need to remember. Because we have been blessed by God in years gone by. Sometimes we get the idea that we can live as we choose and continue to receive the blessings of God. It is my belief that if Solomon could not, neither can we. That is the reason it is so important that we have revival in this land. Ladies and gentlemen, if your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are going to grow up in the world that was built on the foundation of God's Word, then we're going to have to have revival for that to happen. We're going to have to have a new move of God's Spirit. When I, I look at Solomon, I believe his problem was that he compromised a little bit at a time, not intending for these things to happen, but a little bit at a time, a step at a time, he ended up away from God. And then God said to him, because you have done this, then I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. We see Solomon in his old age, fatigued, tired of the self-indulgent life that he had lived, and he did live that. In fact, in his uh, testimony in Ecclesiastes, he tells about everything that he had tried, and he said that he had tried the world, he tried pleasure. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. In chapter 11, verse number 3, it says, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his heart, and his wife turned his heart away. He saw that it was empty. You know, guys, some of you think, if I could just get rid of this woman and get somebody else, I'm going to be happy. Solomon had a thousand of them. Didn't make him happy. (laughs) You know, if I just had another chance at this, I I think that everything would be all right. No, it's, it's not. Because they understand that that what we are is an inside job. See, we keep thinking that it's something on the outside that's going to bring happiness to us, that's going to bring fulfillment to us. No, it's on the inside. He tried pleasure, found it empty, futile. He tried wine. 
In Ecclesiastes 2, 3, he said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. And he turned to alcohol, and, and uh, today it would be alcohol and drugs and those kinds of things, trying to fill that void that was in his life, but it didn't fill it. It never does, does it? Friend, there's some of you who are involved in that. You are trying to fill this hole in your life with alcohol or drugs or some such thing. It's never going to do it. And that's what Solomon said. He says it's empty. It did not fulfill. He tried riches, looked for ful fulfillment in riches, and learned that, behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. In other words, Solomon said, you know, I tried just about everything there is. All those things that we think are going to fulfill us. He said, I've tried them. And they left me empty and unfulfilled. And then we see him when he returns to God. It is my belief, according to my understanding of Scripture, if you really know the Lord. Now, I'm talking about knowing the Lord. I'm not talking about being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or something else. But I'm talking about someone who's been born again and knows the Lord. I really believe if you know the Lord, though you might stray from the Lord... You are going to return to the Lord or the Lord is going to take you home. Now, that's my belief. But I don't believe that you're going to continue uh, in that way. And I look at Solomon. He gave the summary of his life. As he comes to the end of his life, here's his summary in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard... He said, after all of this, he tells about everything that he had been doing. He said, the conclusion, when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. All right, then what is the conclusion according to this man who was wise? He said, fear God, which primarily means to reverence God. Matthew Henry wrote, wherever the fear of God is uppermost in the heart, there will be a respect to all His commandments and care to keep them. So then if I fear God, according to the Scripture, what is the result? If I fear God, if I reverence God, what is the result? He says that you keep His commandments. Well, Solomon hadn't done that, but now he recognizes that if I live my life in reverence of God, then the result is that I keep His commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, we think if I love Him that I'm supposed to have this fuzzy feeling all the time. If I love Him, I'm supposed to jump around and dance all the time. If I love Him, then I'm supposed to have a smile on my face all the time. He said, no, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, that's what it comes down to. If you love Him, keep my commandments. And then in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. So that's what Solomon says. We are to what? Reverence God. What is the result of reverencing God? He says, I keep His commandments. And then he said, prepare for judgment. In Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. In other words, he says that we are going to face God in judgment. Every act. Every act and every motive is going to be revealed. Every hidden thing, because nothing is hidden from God. The Scripture says in Romans 2.16, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Isn't it an awesome thought to know that God knows? 
Huh? I mean, we can dress up and look nice on Sunday. But isn't it an overwhelming thought that God knows nothing is hidden from Him? That's what Solomon says. Understand that nothing is hidden from Him, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So as I look at the fatigue of Solomon, he tried the world, then he turned to God. Now let me conclude real quickly. What do we learn from this story? We all are tempted to compromise. Compromise is a temptation for all of us. But understand that it weakens your character. And the strength of one's character is determined by the depth of one's compromises. It hurts your testimony just as it did for Solomon. It hinders your prayer life. The greater our compromise, the weaker our prayer life. It corrupts our thinking to the point, ladies and gentlemen, when we don't even know what is right and what is wrong. And it destroys us spiritually and physically. That is the reason it is so important that we stay in God's Word, that we stay on our knees, and that we are immediately obedient to the Holy Spirit when He speaks to our heart. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so important that when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, that you respond to Him immediately, because if you do not, then there is a layer that is put over you, and it becomes easier and easier and easier for you to get away from God. I think that's exactly what happened to Solomon. A little bit at a time, a layer at a time, one compromise after another, and life for him ended up being nothing but vanity and disappointment. Get in the Word, on your knees, obedient to the Holy Spirit. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation. We ask that you speak to our hearts. And Father, I pray today for those who are struggling, some who have compromised that they might come back to fellowship with you. I pray, Father, for those who have never known you, that today they might be saved. Father, I pray for those who need a church family, that they will feel comfortable here. That's where you're leading them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir is going to sing, and the staff will be here to receive you. As you come to join the church to trust Christ, you come. We'll greet you as you do.